And secondly, and I think probably more importantly from a practical perspective, if you could just get these sort of fairly simple legal ducks in a row now, you're going to save yourself a huge amount of headache down the line, whether that's, you know, in terms of dodging fines or making your business more attractive to potential investors or buyers, or even when it comes to dealing with, you know, larger customer contracts or supplier agreements or building your team. If you've got the legal structure in place from the beginning, you are definitely saving yourself headaches further down the line. Welcome to Scaling Simplified, a weekly conversation diving into our knowledge of teams, finance, strategies, and startups to help you scale a business you're not a slave to. I'm Pip. And I'm Georgia. And between us, we have over 20 years of experience in big corporates and small startups to share with you. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to the podcast for another episode. And we are starting this week with a special guest who is coming on to talk to us about all the legal implications of starting our business, things we need to think about. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have Gretchen Lennon join us from Lennon Legal. Gretchen, I'm going to hand over to you to just summarize for our listeners what it is you do. Hi, Georgia. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm the founder of Lennon Legal, and we are a small legal consultancy specializing in advising startups and scale-ups in a range of legal issues to consider as you're getting your business off the ground, as you're running it, and then even as you're preparing to sell it. We advise across everything from employment contracts to shareholder agreements, employee share schemes, commercial contracts. And um, yeah, you name it, we can help you. Amazing. Out. Brilliant. So Gretchen and I have worked together previously. We've discussed many different aspects of getting your business off the ground. And she's an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to all of this, from the kind of early startups up, as you said, to I know that we've talked about like what happens with employment contracts, what happens with, as you say, the share option agreements, and even then moving into those founding funding rounds when we get further up the chain. So we have decided to pick your brain (laughs) for everyone that is in that startup phase so that they can really think about the things that that they need. So first up, why is it so important to think about these legal aspects when we get going with our business? Uh, That's a, a really good question, Georgia. And I think there are sort of two main answers. One is, <laughs> you have to, by law, there are certain legal issues, certain sort of frameworks and structures that you have to have in place, because otherwise, you, <laughs> you would be running your business unlawfully. And secondly, and I think probably more importantly, from a practical perspective, if you could just get these sort of fairly simple legal ducks in a row now, you're going to save yourself a huge amount of headache down the line whether that's, you know, in terms of dodging fines or making your business more attractive to potential investors or buyers, or even when it comes to dealing with, you know, larger customer contracts or supplier agreements or building your team. If you've got the legal structure in place from the beginning, you are definitely saving yourself headaches further down the line. I think this is the thing because for a lot of people, so we talk a lot about the back office of starting your business, slightly unsexy stuff, which I think can make people feel a bit nervous because they don't know anything about it. We talk a lot about the sort of financial side. And now that we're throwing in the legal side, we might have people's heads spinning with, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start with this. So thinking about, okay, so I imagine that I have just started my business. I've been going three months 
and I've got a handful of clients, but I've started to create, I've got my own website, I've got my own logo, I've started to create tools to help my clients. How early in my business journey do I need to start thinking about this stuff? Is it straight away? Can I wait six months? Like, what's the real time frame? I mean, I think you've described a really sweet spot of when founders should be thinking about some of the very early stage legal issues. One of the key ones, I think, just exactly in the kind of timeline that you've just described would be, are you at the stage where you are solely running your business as a sole trader or have you incorporated a separate company? So you've effectively got a completely separate legal entity that you contract with your customers through and you have a you know, separate bank account for that business. That's probably a good time to start doing that. Realistically, the earlier you do that, the better. And you know, in terms of actually how you go about setting that up, it's really simple. The company's house website for businesses in the UK is pretty intuitive, at least when it comes to sort of setting up companies. You can do it online within about, I think, 15 minutes. And it costs, I think it's like, 12 or 15 quid to incorporate a company online and you really don't have to you know have your your sort of your business name your brand or anything locked down you can just be you know you can go pretty basic and just call it Gretchen Lennon Limited just get a business incorporated you can change the name further down the line if you need to but that's probably one of the first steps in terms of the legal structure of how you run your business and how you kind of keep it separate from you yourself yeah. What would be then I think, sorry to but sorry, what would be the one of the big reasons to move to an incorporated company rather than working as a sole trader? Uh, the biggest reason is separating business liabilities or business debts from personal liabilities. And to kind of I guess really kind of play that out in practical terms. If your business isn't doing particularly well and you ultimately end up going insolvent, and you know, let's hope that doesn't happen. But if it were to happen, if you were just operating as a sole trader, so all of the business debts and all of your personal debts are effectively all one, there is a potential risk that you could lose your personal assets in order, or you would be obliged to sell your personal assets in order to pay off some of those business debts. The most obvious and I suppose terrifying one of those is your house. If you're a sole trader, there is a risk that your house could be at risk or exposed if you end up in insolvency in your business and have to sort of you know, pay off as much of these very large debts as you can with whatever personal assets you have. If you have alternatively incorporated a separate business, you've effectively got your your personal assets, your personal life and your business assets and debts as two separate legal entities. Even though you may only be the sole shareholder of that business, in the eyes of the law, they are two separate legal entities. So your personal assets are no longer exposed or at risk as a result of the debts or liabilities of your company. Okay. So we started heavy with what... Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you might lose your Sounds a bit terrifying. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, lawyers do like to jump to the sort of worst case scenario. (laughs) But no, it does make total sense. And I think it's something that is really good to think about early on. And as you say, at that kind of sweet spot where this isn't just a hobby anymore. This is actually a business that you're going full out with in terms of bringing clients. Then that's the time. You you do also, I mean, I'm I'm not an accountant or a tax advisor by any stretch of the imagination. But I think once you have your business set up and therefore your sort of, you know, your business 
revenues and costs are separate to your personal income and costs, there can be potentially some tax benefits from doing it that way as well. Yeah, um, as I say, absolutely. definitely not a tax advisor, but, but yeah. uh, it, it's worth speaking to someone about that because, yeah, it, it can be a lot more tax efficient from in some instances to have your business set up under a separate company than your your um, your personal expenses. Yeah, fantastic, and that's something actually that Pip, who I normally co-host with, can go into a bit more detail on. So we will oh, bring you an episode, a follow up <laughs> on that as well. Okay, so we've talked about incorporating the company. What's the next sort of big thing on the list that we should be thinking about at this early stage of our startup? So the next big thing that I would definitely always speak to clients about is who are you running your business with? And if it's just you, great. But if it's you plus a friend, a co-founder, you know, a co-shareholder, then absolutely as early as possible, you probably want to think about getting in place a founder's agreement or a shareholder's agreement. And again, not to sort of go straight to the sort of, you know, doom and gloom of it all. But if you think of a shareholder's agreement or a founder's agreement as a prenup, you basically are with your co-founder or your co-founders agreeing the terms on which your business is run, you know, sort of the, the co-ownership, what happens if one of you wants to sell, what happens if one of you wants to leave, or, you know, gosh, what even happens if one of you passes away, then the founder's agreement will provide for all of that at a time when all of you are on really good form together and, you know, sort of like the relationship between you are very positive. So then if, for example, things were to break down in the future and then maybe, you know, there was a bit of a falling out and one or other of you did want out, you don't have to sort of try and resolve that argument at that time. You've already pre-agreed the process and who's going to get what and it's set out quite neatly in a legal agreement. Founders agreements are also really helpful for other reasons. They can kind of quite clearly focus your minds on what are your sort of each other's minimum commitments and what are each other's expectations of the other um, and yeah they can just kind of help you with the general governance of how the business is going to be run so definitely worth getting a founders agreement in place earlier rather than later. I also don't want to go doom and gloom but do you have any examples of obviously you can't name clients but sort of vague stories that give an example where perhaps someone hasn't done this and it's gone a bit wrong. Yeah, I do actually have a sort of an example that I really like for quite a few clients. And this is a situation where we had two, I think actually maybe three co-founders and two of them wanted to sell. And the third effectively kind of just got, I guess, really just left behind. And the two who wanted to sell collectively owned more than 80% of the business. So they were able to sell their shares to a, a, a third party buyer who, when they came in, they acquired a sort of an 85% interest in the business, which is more than enough generally to, we call it a controlling interest. So if you own 85%, you can pretty much make most decisions within the business without having to get the full 100% shareholding on board. So these two co-founders, find a buyer, agreed a price, sold their shares you know, for quite a handsome sum and disappeared off into the sunset, leaving behind the third original shareholder. The new buyer wasn't interested in buying the, the remaining 15-ish percent. They didn't need it. They already had the controlling interest. And the, um, the, the third shareholder then who was left behind then was a minority shareholder in his own business with a new buyer who he didn't really have a relationship with or didn't particularly want to work with. 
And because he had such a minority stake, he didn't have a very attractive offering to be able to then sell those shares on to anyone else. So he's sort of left like a bit of a sitting duck, really, in a company that he's helped find and he now can't, you know, enjoy the payday that is do other co-founders kind of organised sort of behind his back. That is a terrible situation. Yeah, not great. And I, I mean, there is sort of various things that we could look into to maybe try and resolve the situation a little bit but honestly a well-drafted co-founders agreement from the beginning would have avoided that yeah because it would have said if two want to sell the third has to be has to be exactly the third has to be consulted or maybe would have had to have had the right to sell into the transaction on the same terms at the same price so he could also enjoy his payday and force the buyer to buy 100% of the company or maybe the two who wanted to sell could have had an obligation to offer to sell to him first before selling to a third party. Yeah, there's there's lots of different structures that we would very typically put into a founder's agreement that these people just didn't have. And so he had very little legal protection at that time. And I think it happened. It does actually sadly happen so often. Mm. You see often best friends setting up businesses together, which is yes. great. And it's all full of enthusiasm to start with. But then one's really pulling their weight and one really isn't pulling their weight or... That's a very common example. Life, lifestyles change. Maybe one, they, they go off on maternity leave and then actually their family becomes more important perhaps. Than yeah, the their commitments change, yeah. Exactly. And then you can really have some big fallouts at the end of that. Which... Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a really important one. It's the expectation of commitment to the business um, and how much effort you, you're going to put in versus what shareholding you're going to have in the business. So a lot of, you know, as you say, sort of best friends, co-founders go in and they own a business 50-50. And then very suddenly it becomes apparent that only one of them is really pulling all the weight and the other isn't. But yet they're still on paper 50-50 co-owners and therefore entitled to, you know, 50-50 of profits or sale proceeds if they were to sell. So, yeah, founders agreements can be a very useful tool in dealing with what happens in that sort of situation and as I say sort of having it all agreed and and written down before it actually arises so it helps to minimize the the, the tensions and also when you're negotiating then you can do it in a quite light-hearted way because it's all hypothetical Mm. you know hypothetically if I'm doing more work in the business than you then this is how it would work or if it goes the other way you know you can keep it quite easy absolutely and Exactly. As you say, you know, you're sort of thinking about it hypothetically, but you're also thinking about it from the point of view of, okay, well, if I were the one who was doing more work, how would I feel? But also if I were the one who wanted to maybe take a bit of a step back, how would I feel? So when you're negotiating, you you sort of try and think about it from both sides of the table so that you try and reach as as sort of fair and and balanced a position as possible. Absolutely, because you never know what's going to happen. So Definitely thinking not. about that, okay, so we're incorporating the business potentially and this agreement if we started with someone else. What else are we thinking about? I think we talked about the fact that maybe we're starting to, we've got a website, we've got a bit of a brand, mm-hmm. we're starting to produce some of our own work. What do we need to think about in that respect? So- Absolutely. This is the time, if you haven't already done it, to secure your domain. If you've got your website, you've probably already got your domain. You might want to kind of get a couple of other domains as well, even if you're not actively using them, just lock them down so no one else comes along and sort of swoops them from under you. Similarly, get your trademarks registered. Again, it can be fairly easy to do this online. You know, the the UK trademark office is pretty straightforward. You should register your logo, your brand name, 
and yeah, maybe any other sort of brands or logos that you're also thinking about using in the future. Just as I said, with same with the domains, just to get them secured to prevent anyone else from taking them. Um, yeah, that's such a big thing. Like if you've put all that work into firstly thinking of your business name, designing yeah. the website, getting those trademark, getting the logos, and then somebody else, because if you think a lot of our clients are probably working online, so it's very easy for people to see your business and what you're doing and copy it, steal it. Copy Massively, it. yeah. So if you um, lock that down, you've got no comeback. They they could take your name, trademark it themselves. Yeah. And, and then you and then, and then And then you're sort of in almost like in a bit of an extortion situation. Like they could attempt to sell the trademark to you and you have to pay just to have the name that you're the one that came up with or the, you know, the logo or the brand that you came up with in the first place. And um, so, yeah, definitely get your your logo and your brand and your domains and, and your social media handles as well. You know, even if you think, oh, I'm never going to use TikTok or Instagram to promote my business, just get the handles, the, the accounts locked down so someone else can't come along and, and, and take them from you. And then That's also the on the same theme of really protecting your IP, make sure that whatever agreements you have in place with the people who are coming up with or helping you come up with the IP, you know, maybe design your logos make sure that the uh, contractual agreements that you have in place with them have really robust ip clauses so if you engage a graphic designer to help you with your logo or a website designer to build your website for you or whoever it might be or even if it's a sort of a, a member of your team whether it's an employee or you know, a consultant or a contractor make sure that whatever ip they may be coming up with for your business there are provisions in the contract that you have with them that say that that IP is assigned or effectively transferred over to your business. So there's no dispute further down the line that, you know, someone who used to work for you and then disappears off says actually, well, I, I designed that product or I designed that logo or whatever, and therefore I own it. And um, so, yeah, fairly robust IP ownership clauses in the contracts that you have with the people who may be doing IP or, or creating IP for you, whether that's your team members, your, you know, your sort of, whatever it is and get those and then um, yeah ownership is one of the areas that when you then do eventually come to sell your business your potential investors or buyers will really want to look at because usually ip is one of the main assets or sort of items of value within your business and if you don't own it potentially your business isn't worth as much as you think it is that is a, a huge point actually and it's all about when you come to sell your business and i think we might not have time to go into that this week, but definitely something for a follow-up episode, the things you need to think about. It is all about the things that your business owns, all yeah, those assets, definitely. like the IP, the, the clients, like, I mean, obviously you don't own your clients, but you own your client list, that sort of thing. So many different aspects around that. Just a quick question. Yeah. So this sounds like quite a big job and quite daunting. <laughs> if, if someone was to come to you and say, okay, how do I lock down all my IP? What do I need to do? How would you work with them on that? So uh, trademark registration is actually probably more of a specialist role. And we would put you in touch with our specialist trademark partners who can definitely help on that. But when it comes to the things like your, the, the provisions in your contracts, Absolutely. That's somewhere we can help. And uh, sort of, I guess, you know, more generally having a fairly decent template employment contract or consultancy agreement, if you're just bringing your team members on as, as freelancers, maybe in the beginning, that's definitely an area we can help. And 
there are certain provisions that you, you have to have by law and then there are other clauses that you just want to make sure are as reasonable but as protective of your business as possible and that's not just in terms of the IP ownership but also you know, things like for example like notice clauses or even you know things like with your team talking about like what happens if somebody needs to take holiday or sick pay and then the other area where it's definitely worth thinking about is whether you want to put in place any kind of non-competes or any sort of provisions in the contracts with your team members that will protect your company if they were to try and then set up in competition or maybe move to a competitor after they finish working for you because you know, team members move on but you don't want them necessarily moving on and you know setting up in competition next door or stealing all your clients or even trying to poach your remaining team members so yeah yeah the, the contracts that you put in place with your team at the beginning are important too. You don't want them to be too draconian, but you also need them to protect your business. Thank you for listening to Simplified Scaling. If you love this episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you know someone that would love this episode too, why not share it on your stories? And don't forget to tag us. We love it when you get in touch. Head to the show notes and drop us a DM or send us an email. We can't wait to hear about your business.